to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. If you've been around church long enough, you're probably rolling your eyes already at the very mere thought that I would dare go near this scripture. Please keep your walls down. Let me talk you through it. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verse 24 and 25. I really do need glasses. I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 10 going, what, what? Hang on, let me, let me join you. Wow, it's a shocker, isn't it? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much more as you see the day approaching. Okay. Before you all put your walls up and think I'm telling you you have to come to this church, please, this message has nothing to do with trying to make you come to this church. It has nothing to do with trying to railroad you in or make you feel guilty. I've heard this passage preached many times and, and I hate it when it comes from a guilt-based perspective that, you know, if you're, if you're not committed to this church, you're, 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 you're guilty, you're a sinner and God's angry at you and you're breaking the laws. Nothing to do with that. And as we, we're going to have a little bit of a look at the context of this scripture this morning and we'll see that it's not like that. It's not about that. How many of you know God is a God of love? He's not a God of guilt. He's not trying to get you to do things by making you feel guilty. He's not trying to condemn you into a corner so that you... That's not God. That's not the character and the nature of God. And a good way to judge uh, anything that you hear, any teaching, preaching you hear, is always go back to the character of God. Does this fit the character and the nature of God? Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't correct us, that God doesn't rebuke us, that God doesn't challenge us. That's all part of Christianity. But does it come back from that, that foundation of God's character of love of commitment, of grace, of mercy. Does it come out of there? If it comes out of there, then, then yeah, let's examine it. But anything that comes out of a legalistic, law-based uh, background, that's not Jesus, okay? That's not going to change you. All legalism and law will do is change you on the outside. It won't change your heart. Grace is what changes your heart. Mercy is what changes our heart. Anyway, before I get into that, I went shopping this week. Right? I, don't, I don't shop a lot. Um, probably uh, maybe most males are similar to me, especially when it comes to clothing. Uh, I don't shop a lot for clothing, but I, I, I am married to a woman and, and I, I do know by experience that the ratio of men shopping for clothes and women shopping to clothes is a bit out of balance and women tend to do more of the clothes shopping, probably even for most of the men here. You probably your, 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 the women in your life probably buy you your clothing and, and things like that. And as was the case, my wife was out and she knew I was looking for a pair of shoes. Now, I've been looking for this pair of shoes for a long time and I've got a particular picture in my head of what I want in these shoes. I know the colour, I know the style, I know they look a bit rugged and a bit rough and I've had this picture for months and months and months but I cannot find these shoes anywhere. So Jackie uh, rings me up the other day and goes, oh look, run on down to the shop there, there's this sale going on, there's like 60%, 70% off and I saw some shoes there and these shoes, you know, they, they might be the ones that you're looking for. So I came home from work and I, I went down to the shop and I got in there and I realised that uh, the shoes I wanted, I couldn't find the exact ones I wanted. I couldn't find the perfect shoes, okay? There was these ones over here, and they were the perfect colour, the exact colour I wanted, but the pattern wasn't quite as I had in my head. And when I tried them on, they were too small, and they didn't have my size. Then there was this other pair over here, and they were my size. So they were the perfect size. Um, they even kind of had the pattern, but they were the wrong colour. And I searched through about five or six sets of shoes and the woman's out the back trying desperately to get me to buy something. And so she's out the back grabbing more and more and there's boxes of shoes piling up and try this and try that and try this. In the end, I just could not find the style of shoes that I wanted. And ladies would know this, don't you? Like, like shoes have got to have style, don't they? 
They've got to have style. Shoes serve a purpose. And you can never have too many pairs of shoes too. Every man know that? You need to know that. If you're not married yet, you need to know that. All right? A woman can never have enough pairs of shoes. There's a pair of shoes for every day of the week. There's also a pair of shoes for everything that you're doing on every day of the week. Yeah? Laughing. I used to live when I was a kid uh, out at Mudgee and um, uh, Melda Marcos used to have the... Anyone remember Melda Marcos? They used to have a horse stud just down the road from where we lived. And, and I remember around 60 minutes one day, they took into her shoe cupboard and there was thousands of pairs of shoes, you know. And I've got to be honest, I didn't believe it at the time, but I, I get it now. 20, we're going on 20 years of marriage and I'm starting to understand that, the whole shoe thing. Point being, I couldn't find the perfect shoes. I looked everywhere. I searched high and low, went through it. In the end, I settled, I settled for these. So they're not perfect, but they're the right size. They, they cover my feet. They kind of serve the purpose. They're not the color I wanted, the style I wanted, whatever, but yeah, they're a good pair of shoes. In the end, I had to settle for an imperfect pair of shoes, but hey, they serve the purpose and they do the job anyway. How many of you know, those of you that have been around Christianity long enough, searching for a church can be like searching for the perfect pair of shoes. There's no such thing as the perfect church. There's no such thing as the perfect group of people. You're not going to find the perfect fellowship group. You're not going to find the perfect place to call home when it comes to church. You can look and search and so on, but if you look hard enough, it doesn't matter where you go, you are going to find things that you don't like and things that you don't agree. Is that right? This church is not perfect. It never will be perfect because there are people involved in it. Okay? That's the big problem. This is the problem with the church. If we could have a church without people, we could have the perfect church. But how many of you know, and I'm yet to find a church that doesn't have people, people mess it up. People make church a bad place sometimes. People make church imperfect. Why do we need people? I mean, I, my perfect church would be me standing here by myself just looking at empty chairs. I could say whatever, do whatever I wanted to be perfect church. No one would be arguing, no one would be disagreeing with me, no one would have a different perspective to challenge me. Um, but then I'd be there, which would then make that church imperfect as well. So at the end of the day, there's no such thing as a perfect church. Is that right? There's no such place as a perfect church. And if by chance you do happen to, somewhere in the future, walk into a building and go, oh my goodness, this is the perfect church, do the rest of them a favor and don't attend because you will ruin it. You will wreck what they've got going for them. So don't do it. Don't do it. There's no such thing as a perfect church. Um, And if you ever do find the perfect church, here's a thought. And I can't claim this because Rick Joyner, I read this in a Rick Joyner book many, many years ago. He said, if you do find the perfect preacher in the perfect church, he said, it's only because you have the same heresies that they have. Does that make sense? If you ever find a preacher that you agree 100% with everything he says, it's only because he has the same false ideas of God as you do. So when he says them, you think, yeah, that's right. There's no such thing as a perfect preacher. No such thing as a perfect church. No such thing as a perfect group of people. But there is some important reason why we are encouraged to stay in fellowship with other believers. Why would God want us to spend time hanging out with a bunch of imperfect people in an imperfect context? <laughs> why would it be so important to God that we spend time in that context? I, I don't know. If my kids have got friends and they're you know, not perfect by my standards of friends and the type of things people you want them to hang around with what don't we try to go no don't hang around with those kids they're bad kids and yet here we are in a church with a whole bunch of bad people and we're not only saying it's a whole bunch of bad people we're encouraging saying hey but the book says you should hang around us she'll be with us what 
is so important about the church. Now, when we talk about church, the Bible doesn't talk about church in the context of buildings, meetings. The Bible talks about church in the context of people. I don't go to church. I am the church. You don't come to church. You are the church. So, in reality, the church is everywhere. Wherever I am, the church is there. You know, you know for about 50 hours a week, the church is at Dan Murphy's Ballina. One spirit on this hand, the other spirit on this hand. But the church is at Dan Murphy's Ballina. Wherever you work, wherever you go, you are the church. You are the representation of God, the human representation of God on planet Earth. The tangible, practical expression of who God is here on planet Earth. And that's what the church is. And when we talk about the church, that's what we're talking about. The writer of Hebrews is writing to a bunch of people that have been brought up on religion. They were brought up going to the temple. They were brought up worshipping. They, 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 they were brought up going to Hillsong, if you want to put it that way. Big meetings, lots of people together praying, worshipping God. It wasn't just little groups of two and three in some of the outlying city, uh, cities where they didn't have big synagogues and they couldn't get into the towns yet. They'd have smaller groups of meeting places and so on. But in the bigger cities, you know, massive big meetings and they'd all get together and so on. They're used to this. And then along comes Jesus and their paradigm changes. And they realize, well, hang on a second. And this is what the writer of Hebrews goes through from the very beginning of the book to the end. He, he talks about how Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Aaron. Jesus is greater than this. But Jesus is, and he goes through all these people that the, the, the ancient Hebrews looked at as forefathers of their faith. And, so, and, he goes through, and, and he outlines why Jesus is better than all of them. And that's what he's doing in the book of Hebrews. He outlines why Jesus is better than all of these people. Why Jesus' sacrifice is better than any other sacrifice that anybody else ever offered throughout their religious history. And he paints this picture. These people grew up with religion. But at this particular time when this book was written, they were suffering a bit of persecution. There was a bit of pressure on them. A bit of pressure to conform. A bit of pressure to throw away the Jesus stuff and just slip back into temple worship the way it's always been. And they were right on a knife's edge. And they were ready to do that. They were tottering. And we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's no church history fact. They've got five, six, seven different authors that they think could have written it. Who wrote it's irrelevant. But what they said is very powerful. And in the midst of these people deciding, should I pull out of mainstream Christian fellowship and go back to temple worship, go back to the traditional style that we have, go back to the laws, the sacrifices, all that stuff, in the midst of this thought, the writer writes them and he says, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. In, in, in verse 24, it says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. How many of you know it's very hard to consider others if you're not in fellowship with them? It's very hard to consider others when you're not in fellowship with them. It's very hard to know where you're at. It's very hard to speak into your world. It's very hard to, to, to know how to pray for you. It's very hard to support you when your needs come up and so on if I'm not in fellowship with other people. 
And the writer of Hebrews is very passionate about this point. Do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. Now, no church is perfect, but every church is necessary. Okay? And I just want to say a couple of things right off the bat. I'm hoping over the next few months, what we want to do is, is preach a few messages that will maybe give you a little bit of our DNA. This is who we are. Um, those of you that, that weren't here a couple of weeks ago, we were prayed over as pastors of the church here. Um, so we're still getting to know a lot of you, and a lot of you are still getting to know us, and, and we look forward to that. Uh, and uh, over, the, over time, I look forward to, to, to serving you guys and to, to building a really good, strong, God-loving, passionate church in this area. See, many, many people come to faith. That's, that's the heart of it. Jesus said that he was building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And our job is to know what he's building. And if we get in line with him, then we know that even the gates of hell themselves can't stop it. Churches that want to get off and do things their own way and because they follow the pattern of the book or the manual or whatever, well, you might have some pressure there and guess what? You might not bust through. Why? Because if Jesus ain't doing that, then there's no guarantees. If he's doing this over here, then there are some guarantees there, things you can lean on, things you can expect to happen. But I just want to say a couple of things first. Number one, we're not here to control you. Okay, pastors are not here to control you. Okay, we're not here to tell you that you should take this job or that you shouldn't take that job, that you can marry this person or you can't marry that person. You can't go to this place in your spare time or that you can't, you know, if your kids have got a sporting event one Sunday morning, you want to go and watch them, that you can't do that because it's just, we're not here to do any of that. Okay, we're not here to control people. Secondly, we're also not here to have a relationship with God for you. We're not here to have a relationship with God for you. I've got my own relationship with God. When I stand before him, he will look at me. And when you stand before God, he will look at you. You have the same access to the throne room of God that I do. You have the same Bible that I do. You have the same ability to pray that I do. Okay? Pastors are not there to have a relationship with God for you. And I, I'm not saying that because of anything I've felt or sensed since I'm here. I just want to put that out as a part of our DNA and who we are. I've been involved in many, many churches and been involved in many leadership positions, sorry, many organizations, uh, and many leadership positions where a lot of people hanging around are there wanting you to have a relationship with God for them. They want you to tell them everything they should be doing. They want you to solve every problem. They want you to, to answer every question and so on. And when you put back on them, well, what do you think God's saying to you? Oh, what, what? What do you want? You want me to tell you what to do so that when it fails, you can get angry at me. You can blame me. What is Jesus saying to you? What do you believe the Lord is saying to you about this situation? Build that relationship with God. You are able to have a relationship with God yourself. And, and when you come along to a church, I think it's unfair for anyone to join them. And it's not just here, any church. To join to a church and expect the pastors to have all the answers of all your problems is unfair. And it's unscriptural. We all have access to God and we all need to build that relationship, maintain that relationship with God. And thirdly, if you're not being challenged and growing in your relationship with God, then you have our blessing to go and find a church where you are. This scripture is not being used to say, you must be here and you can't leave this church. So on. If you're not being fed in a place, move on. Sometimes I think people get too spiritual about, ooh, and you know, hey, if you're not planted by a stream of living water and you're not bearing fruit and you're not growing and you're not feeling passionate about God, and when I say growing, I mean all the things I mentioned earlier too. That doesn't mean that you're always laughing, having a great time, but you're being challenged in your faith. 
You're being challenged in your beliefs. I love having my faith challenged because every time someone challenges me with a different perspective, I do one of two things. It either makes me realize, hang on a second, I actually don't even know why I believe that. So now I've got to go back to the foundations of that belief and go, well, why do I believe it? And maybe I'll change my mind and go, you know what? Yeah, you're right. And humble myself and go, yeah, I've got to go this way. Or maybe I go, hang on a second, I'll go back and go, no, I believe what I believe and I've got a foundation for that and I know this is right. And it strengthens my faith in that area. So challenge can be a really, really good thing for us as believers. And we need to be in a place where we are being challenged as much as, as all the, the, the fun, nice stuff, but we want to be challenged in our faith. And, 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 and getting together with a group of believers, being together, rubbing off on one another. It's not just what happens on a Sunday morning. It's not just a message that gets, gets preached. It's, it's the conversations you have over coffee. It's the time you, you get together during the week when your kids are playing together. It's, it's, it's the, 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 the praying for one another and, and believing God for one another and all that stuff that goes with being a community and being a family. And that's important. But if you're not getting that in the place where you are, you don't need to come to us and go, well, look, the Lord spoke to me and He's told the Lord that the common one is the Lord has released me. You were never bound in the first place. He doesn't have to release you. You don't belong to us. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ who sacrificed his life and gave up his life for you. And if you're not being fed in this place, please, by all means, I would rather you found somewhere where you're feeling fed, found somewhere where you're getting challenged and you're growing in God than hang around here if it's not meeting your needs. You don't have to be here. Nobody has to be here, okay? Find a place where your relationship with God is, is thriving, where your relationship with God is growing, because that's what we want, especially in today's day and age, in today's times. We need to be challenged in our relationship with God because you all know we are being challenged in everything else. Everything else out there is being challenged and being thrown at us, our morals, our values, everything's getting challenged. So we want to get challenged in our faith. We want to get stirred up. We want to be in a place where the gifts of God are being stirred up in us, where passions are being stirred up inside of us, where we're walking out on Sunday. Um, A.W. Tozer once said, the church is not a place to bring in the unsaved to get saved. He said, the church is a refueling station for the saints. It's where we come on in, we pull up at the bowser, you get a petrol thing, you whack it in, you fill it up, fill the tank up with whatever the super duper 2020 unleaded supercharged fuel turbo stuff, whatever it is, it's the max fuel out there today. You want to go into church, you want to get pumped up, you want to fill, and you want to go out there charging into the rest of the week. That's what we want. That's what, that's what should be happening. And if that's not happening, if that's not your experience, week after week after week after week after week after week after week, please don't just disfellowship and go, well, church doesn't work, I'll go away. Get to the root of maybe why, and if you can't, Please, find somewhere. There might be another context, another style of church. There are many styles of church out there. It's like going to Baskin and Robbins. There's all kinds of different ice cream flavors you can get. My favorite is choc mint. So if you ever feel led of God to buy ice cream for me, choc mint is my favorite ice cream. Choc orange, I'll take that too, either or two. There's all kinds of flavors of ice cream out there. Go and find a flavor that you like. Enjoy the ice cream. If you don't enjoy rum and raisin, then don't have to eat rum and raisin when there's 50 other flavors there. Pick something you like, all right? And there are a whole bunch of different styles of church. And, 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 and you know, some have uh, big bands and 20-piece orchestras and rock music and stuff. And some people love it. Others have just one person on a piano or a pipe organ. And some people love that. And, and, and some people love to, to, to get all dressed up for church and you feel like you've got to have a suit and tie. Some people love just being relaxed and walking in their thongs and a singlet, whatever. There are plenty of styles out there. There's a style for everybody. A style for everybody. Find something that energizes your relationship with God. And dive into it.
Jump into it. Psalm 1, 1 to 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's getting into the word of God, and here's the result. He's like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season. His leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You know, if we're planted in a good place, growth comes naturally, doesn't it? If you're planted in a good place, growth comes naturally. I used to live in India, and we used to, uh, where we lived in Nagpur in central India was orange groves. Just hundreds and hundreds of orange groves. And every time we'd go to a village to minister, they would, the, the villagers would take us to the orange groves because they, they're so proud of the orange groves. They would walk down and, and show us the orange groves, and they would load us up like we'd have our shirts out like this, come back with like 100 oranges every person, and you know, 99% would go off it. They didn't care. They just want you to have their oranges. Not once when I walked through those fields and I did this a lot, I'd stop every now and then, I'd look at a tree and I'd go. Not once did I see a branch going, I'm going to orange. An orange, going to make an orange, going to make an orange. (laughs) I'll try it over here. I'm going to make an orange, 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 now orange, orange. can't make an orange. can't make an orange. A macadamia, you ever seen a macadamia tree? I've got macadamia farms around here, macadamia trees. And there's a macadamia tree there and it grows up and it gets the leaves and all of a sudden, okay, it's time for macadamia. It's going to make a macadamia. Not one, two. Mac- mac- now, 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 not now. Every time I walk through those orange groves, guess what? Not once did I ever see a tree Straining to produce an orange. Why? Because it was planted in a good place. Growth is natural when you're planted in a good place. You know why the early church grew so well? And Luke was a historian. And so when he writes the book of Acts, he gives us these numerical updates throughout the book. And this many were added, and that many were added. Because they were planted in a good place. They were planted in a good place. They were smack bang at the start. They had their issues. You've only got to read the Bible to realize they had their issues. Every book of that Bible is dealing with an issue in a particular fellowship, a particular congregation, a group. We've got sexual impropriety happening. We've got pride happening. We've got relational issues where people can't get on with each other. This book is full of issue after issue after issue after issue after issue. But guess what? They were still planted in a good place and the church still grew, even though it was imperfect. And when we're planted in a good place, we should be growing. And my encouragement to each of you is, if this place at any point along the journey isn't that place for you, please don't feel that you've got to get words from the Lord and we don't control you, we don't own you. Our heart as pastors here is we want to see you grow in that relationship with God. Because like the song said, he is everything we need. He has answers. He has solutions. Okay? But the beautiful thing is he includes us in his answers and his solutions as well. He uses us. He doesn't do things, God doesn't do anything um, separate from man. Ever since the very beginning when he first created Adam and Eve, he did everything by himself. As soon as he made Adam and Eve, his creation took on a different turn and he included humanity in the formation of history, the formation of nations and the formation of what he was doing. He included humans. He would ask and they would obey or disobey and the fruit would bear from that. And he still does that today. He still does that today. 
in that passage there in Hebrews, the Greek word consider, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. The Greek word consider means to observe, to consider, to discover. Discover things about one another. You only do that by getting to know each other, to perceive, to behold, to see things. We only learn about each other by fellowshipping together, by putting yourself in a place, planting yourself in a place of other people. In Matthew 24, Jesus speaking about the end times says this. He just talked about the destruction of the temple and the temple is going to come down. And his disciples come to him and his disciples say to him, well, Lord, can you tell us when this is going to happen? What are going to be the signs of this happening? What are going to be the signs of that? And Jesus sits them down and he has a conversation with them. And he starts by saying this. Jesus answered and said to them, very first thing he said, take heed that no one deceives you. Jesus, what's going to be the sign of your return? What can we look for? What's going to happen? The first thing he says is, take heed that no one deceives you. Then he goes on for the rest of that chapter and he talks about different things. Four times he mentions this phrase, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. False Christ will rise. Don't be deceived. False prophets will rise. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. When the writer of Hebrews encourages us to not forsake the gathering together of ourselves, I believe one of the biggest reasons why in the end times we need to stick together is because of this issue of deception. The devil is out there trying to deceive. He's trying to deceive the church. He's trying to deceive the world. He's doing a pretty good job out there. We've seen a few things this week in the media where his deceptions are working. He's got whole nations thinking that certain things are right when we know from a biblical perspective it ain't right. We don't judge or criticize the people, but we know it's not right. And like Jackie said, when a nation changes its whole constitution, it changes its whole legal foundation based on a deception. The devil's up there rubbing his hands together going, it's working. It's working. The devil is bringing together an army. That's what he's doing. The devil is unifying people around the wrong causes and splintering the church around the right causes. It's a plan of the end times. It's a deception. It's something he's doing right now. He's grabbing militant Islamic people and he's lumping them together with a similar philosophy and similar group and, 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 and they're going about their business and doing what they do to terrorize the world. They're all of a sudden unifying. And when there's numbers, they have an impact. The, 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 again, I don't want to harp on about it, but the gay lobbyists in the United States, they used to all be just splintered groups of people over here. They all got together and they did something together as a big group. And now they've changed the constitution of a nation because they unified together. In the end times, one of the things the devil wants to do is to disunify the church. He wants to splinter us. Because when he splinters us, he knows that we are rendered ineffective. There are some great people that love God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. They're passionate about God. They're passionate about their faith. But they're sitting at home this morning justifying why they don't want to go back into a church. I know that because I was one of those people for many years. I had justifiable reasons why I would never go back to church. 
Matter of fact, the only reason I'm standing here today doing what we're doing is because my wife came to me one day and said, I don't care if you're not going back to church. I know I need to go. And so she started going along to CRC and Bible. If Jackie didn't make that move, I very much doubt I'd even be standing here right now. Because I had my valid reasons why I was no longer going to be a part of the church, why I was no longer going to fellowship. No valid reasons. Two. How many people are out there now going, oh, I'm not going to go back to mainstream fellowship because I don't want to be associated with what's happening sexually in the Catholic Church. I'm just not going to go there. So you isolate yourself and you do what? You render yourself ineffective. I don't want to go to Pentecostal churches anymore because of all the, the kerfuffle with money and all that stuff. And so I'm just not going to go to church anymore because of all the money. And so what do you do? You don't go. Great. You've isolated yourself from this, but you've also rendered yourself ineffective. My, I, I know a lot of people that have done this. And I look at their life and my question is, right here, how's it worked out for you? Because I know how it worked out for me. I didn't win anyone to the Lord during those years. I wasn't building the kingdom of God during those years. If I'm dead set honest with myself, God was not a priority in my mind because I wasn't hanging around with God-like people. I wasn't fellowshipping with the church. I wasn't getting into worship, reading of the word, communion, prayer, what the early church did when they first got together, the four foundations of what they did when they gathered. I wasn't doing any of that. I isolated myself from that. And I felt like I had very, very valid reasons. Very valid reasons. I just don't want to be a part of all this rubbish. But you know what? It rendered me totally and completely ineffective for the Lord. And this is what the devil wants. And I believe this with all my heart. What we're seeing this week in the media, what we're seeing happen in the world right now, is the devil unifying. He is pulling together those that he needs to achieve what he wants. And he is splintering the church. And the thing is, the world out there, the non-church world are picking up on it. And the Muslims are going, yeah, that's right. If we get together, we can do something great. We can disrupt the world. And the gay lobbyists get together and go, yeah, that's right. If we get together now, stop fighting. Let's just get together. I might not agree with everything you think and everything you think, but it doesn't matter. We'll get together around a common cause and we'll change the constitution. And the church is going, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be a part of that. I'm going to pull away from that. Isolate myself for that. And all it's doing is rendering us ineffective. It's rendering us personally ineffective and corporately ineffective because we don't have everybody here that needs to be here. We don't have all the gifts, the talents. Ephesians talks about how the body grows and it says in Ephesians that the body grows when every part does its share. Every part does its share. Everyone has something to bring to the table. Whether it be just joining together in worship here, being that extra voice, that extra bit of anointing, carrying that praise up to God, that extra bit of power in prayer, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. Whether it be over coffee, putting your hand on someone's shoulder and saying, you know, it's great to see you today. And you know what? No one said that to them for the last six months. Whether it be hearing about the needs of somebody and, and rocking up to their house and going, you know what? I, I, I heard that, you know, you don't embarrass you or anything, but I heard that you're a bit low on, on finance this week, so here's a bag of groceries. Everything that we do as a body counts. It's like a little pebble in a jar and it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. And I think never has there been a time where this scripture in Hebrews is more potent than now. Don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves as some already have. See, they had already started to splinter. Don't think that our world is, is it's harder to follow God now than it was then. That's not the case. These guys had all the same issues going on back then that we've got going on today. And sometimes, you know, just as a side point, some of us have a glorified image of what the church looked like in the book of Acts. We're set on, they all met in houses. 
Well, you know, in some places they did, but you know, the houses are a bit different to ours too. You know, some of them houses had massive big courtyards outside, could have 100, 200 people in them. We think, oh no, I've read the books and I've heard that people propagate house church movements. That's how you do it. You've got to get house church just with 10, 12 people. Well, you know what? If the Lord is saying that, yes. But unfortunately today, a lot of us are doing it out of a reaction against mainstream Christianity, not because God's saying to do it. And what did they do in three, three, I think it was 300 AD when Constantine said, you are no longer an illegal movement? The church, when it was birthed, was an illegal sect group. It was an illegal cult by the Romans. In 300 AD, when Constantine came along and said, no longer are you an illegal cult, what did they do? Whether it was right or wrong, whatever, they started meeting in buildings because they could, because they weren't going to get shot or s- slain with a sword or whatever. And it changed the, 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 the landscape of the church. Was it right? Was it wrong? I don't make a judgment call on it. I just want to say there are reasons why the early church met the way they did and did the things they did. There were cultural reasons and very relevant reasons back then. But we kind of glorify the early church and think that we need to go back to, you know what? We don't need to go back to what the early church did. We need to go back to being the people the early church were. We've got to get that passion on the inside of us, that commitment to one another, that commitment to God, that commitment to fellowship, that commitment to his word, that commitment to prayer, the commitment to communion. We've got to get back to those basics, back to that foundation. And God is looking for people who will be a part of that. That's what he wants to do, to bring his church back together. I'll get the musicians to come back up. He wants to keep his church together. He wants to keep his church together. You have something to bring. I have something to bring. We all have something to bring. And I, I, I hope and pray with all my heart that there's not somebody here today who isn't, doesn't go. I, I didn't make this message up this morning because I saw who was here. This is what the Lord laid on my heart. Okay? This is what God laid on my heart. I had something else prepared that I wanted to speak on. But the Lord said, no, I want you to speak on that this morning. There are reasons why we need to be in fellowship. God wants us in fellowship. Has anyone ever seen a wildlife documentary and seen how uh, African lions, how they hunt zebra and different things? I, I watched the David Attenborough Um, documentaries and it's amazing what they do you know that the lions will chase after a herd or a pride or whatever you call it of zebra and they'll actually run alongside of them without touching anyone they'll run alongside of them and they'll turn this way and the lions will turn and run with them then what happens is when one of them are isolated from the rest of the pack then the lions come on in and they go for the jugular one Peter I think it's 1 Peter 5.8, 2 Peter 5.8. It says, your adversary, the devon, the devon, the devil. I'm thinking about lunch. Your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Notice he's looking for who he may devour. He can't devour everybody. He's looking for particular things which give him the opportunity to move on your life and one of the big ones in today's society in western church is isolation please 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 if you hate this message today (laughs) please don't not go to church go somewhere meet with a group of believers the time that I spent out of the church if I'm completely honest with you my love for God waned I would have told you I still had faith. I would have told you I still love God. And I did, deep down inside. I mean, you could tell me the sun's not going to rise tomorrow morning. It doesn't change the fact that it will. What you believe doesn't change the fact. And that's how I felt with God. I know God's there whether I want to believe it or not. I know he is. I know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I know he's there. But I can tell you this. When I used to watch TV or something, and you might want to flick it over after a second because it's inappropriate and you don't want to see that stuff, 
when I'm not hanging out with you people. And for two months, I'm hanging out more with people over here. And then that comes on TV. Next time, guess what? Now I can watch it for 10 seconds, maybe 20 seconds. Still turn it over, but maybe the time gets a bit longer because these people are rubbing off. Because I'm not, they're not considering me. They're not spurring me on to love and good works. But I know you people will. The things I used to engage in in conversation, I had a line, a very clear line, but you know what? The more time you spend away from the church, that line moves, and all of a sudden, oh, no, no. well, it's not really gossip, it's, it's all right. Oh, I can say this, I'll just add this bit, I'll just add that bit. And before you know it, that line's moved 10 kilometres down the road. This is what happens when we break out of fellowship. The people you're sitting in this room with, they are imperfect. Yes, they are, but so are you, so you're in good company. But if we're stirring each other on to love and good works, then we're fulfilling the commandment of God. And we're giving ourselves every chance to be part of a unified church. That in these end days, God needs, God needs his church to be unified. God needs his people to be committed to fellowship committed to one another a bit like a marriage I guess better or worse for richer or poorer till death do us part amen let's all stand for a second Father we just thank you Lord uh, for this morning God we thank you Jesus, that you, firstly, God, that you continue to gracefully and mercifully put up with us. Father, we thank you that the church exists today, not because of our great faith in you, but because of your great faith in us. Let us understand that, Father, that your grace, your mercy, your compassion, your commitment to us, God goes beyond human reasoning, beyond human understanding. It's something we can't fathom without a revelation from the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray this morning, God, that, Lord, your spirit, if you're saying anything to us, that, Father, you would let that solidify in our spirits, God. When we walk out of this room, that we wouldn't forget about it and get on with life. But we ask you, God, we invite your Holy Spirit to water the seed, to continue to challenge us, to continue to grow us, to continue to push us to become the people that you want us to be, God. We us there with love, grace, and mercy. And Father, I want to thank you for uh, this church. God, I want to thank you for the people that are here this morning. God, I want to thank you that, Father, you uh, have given them to me as a gift. Just as, Father, you have given us to each other in this place as a gift, as an expression of who you are, a tangible expression of who you are. And I pray, Father, that you would just bind us together, bind us together around love for Christ. And Lord, I pray for all the churches this morning that are meeting across this region that you would bind them together, Father. Bind them together in their faith in Jesus. Bind them together in their love for one another. And give each of us, God, all believers across this region, Father, give us the wisdom to know how to stir one another on to love and to good works. Father, especially as the times appear to be getting darker and your return seems to be getting nearer. Father, we thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, Amen. Amen.